Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Women Positive. This podcast celebrates the achievements of women as they overcome barriers. I want to share their stories, their ideas, and their strategies to inspire other women as well. Women who haven't found the answer to their challenges as yet. It isn't always easy, but we can all learn from the solutions that other women have developed as we reach for a better future. We're going to hear from women whose compelling experiences and efforts to break the mold are a beacon for other women around us. So welcome. Today we're hearing from Debbie Adams, who's going to talk to us about imposter syndrome and may have a different take on this. So I'm really curious. Welcome, Debbie. Tell us about your background. Well, right now I'm a writer, uh, but I, I have been in business almost, I'm in my 12th year. And uh, I started out as a tax specialist, went into business coaching and training, and now I've given up the income tax just this year, and going into, I'm going to become a writer. I want to get people thinking. Well, that's a really good objective to have. We're not going to coast through life. Imposter syndrome. Can you define it for us first? Yes, absolutely. So imposter syndrome really is, you know, something that's going on internally that Get you comparing yourself to others or com- comparing your situation to other people, often coming up short. Sometimes it could be this fear that somebody is going to find out that you're not as qualified, you know, not as credentialed as, as they might think you are. So it's this fear, internal fear, that you're somehow not as good as the other people. And that is, I think, something that many women, in my experience, have at least some element of imposter syndrome. You mentioned earlier that often women think they have to have another degree. Oh, I can't possibly do this. I better go back to school. And I think I've been there. I took 22 years to get my degree because of interruptions in life. But then I went back and got my marketing certification. And then I went home and said, I think I need an MBA. I was investing a great deal of money and time, right? Right. How did imposter syndrome kind of manifest for you? Well, sometimes, you know, when we're past the heavy lifting about change, we forget what it was like when we were in it. Because I will say that it isn't anything that stops me now, but it it's not something that goes away. So let me just tell you about my theory about imposter syndrome first. And that is everybody has it. Everybody that I talk to has imposter syndrome. It's fear that comes up whenever they're going to do something that they don't normally do. And I think that imposter syndrome is actually, it's not a syndrome. I think it's a feeling that people feel, uh, you know, an unworthiness. But I think it's the litmus test to see if you're stretching yourself. If you're not feeling this out of your element, oh my God, they're all going to find out I don't know at all. um, You're not stretching yourself. You're in your safe zone. I have never met a person that isn't achieving, you know, great things, who hasn't said to me, oh, I have that. I just don't let it stop me. When you think about the whole mechanics of change, when you do something new, you're going to feel some nervousness for sure, whether you you know how to, to do everything you're supposed to be doing or not. Just think for a second, when I joined the military, I was 17 years old and I became a mechanic, first cohort of women. Do you know, we all felt like imposters. We were imposters. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. You know, we were showing up. Somebody was introducing us. Have you met our new mechanic? And we'd be like, 
hadn't really owned that title yet. You know, I didn't feel like a mechanic. We're going through the motions, you know, two, three years into an apprenticeship when somebody says, this is our mechanic, or if you met the mechanic, of course you felt like that was part of your title. But prior to that, it was full on imposter. It was like, oh my God, I am not a mechanic. I can't believe they keep saying that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Did you feel like you had to say, well, almost mechanic or apprentice. Or I just started. <laughs> or I just started. That's often yeah, what yeah. people do. Yeah, I, I will be a, a mechanic. So oh. that's an interesting theory. I think we're actually more aligned than you think, because I do believe people do feel nervous about doing something new. And after all, we've all got a limbic system. That limbic system keeps us under wraps. You know, don't get too excited. Don't go too crazy. That's new. <laughs> <laughs> you may fail. <laughs> yeah. So I agree. I think that a lot of people do have it. When did you first notice it? You mentioned the military because you were doing a brand new career, right? Yes. And I will say that I went to school in my 40s. I went to university in my 40s. Prior to that, I had apprentice as a mechanic. So I didn't have the tools or the language to be able to evaluate my life till later. When I started getting, I too have a lot of certificates and, and courses and you know, I started getting those psychology courses and coaching courses. And I started to be able to go back and look over my life and say, oh, that's what that thing was. Or even when it comes to background, right? I come from a background of people who have a little codependence. So I could say, when I encountered codependence as a concept, I could say, oh, that's what was at play there. Right, right. So when I developed a tool, so I didn't notice it when I was in it. When I was in it, I was like, full-on flustered and feeling like whenever I had to, oftentimes you'd be asked to do something as a mechanic in front of other people and you were like gonna die because you're gonna fail and you know all of the stuff later on when I started doing speaking because I do speak in front of large groups uh you know walking onto the stage it was like oh my god I don't have enough training in this yet what am I doing it was or somebody's gonna jump up in the back and say, I knew you when, I knew you when, remember that night? <laughs> oh no, that's the worst. Yeah. That's the jump up, right? It was that, and I can remember my coach at the time saying, what are the chances that somebody out here in the middle of nowhere from that place where you lived in Saskatchewan is gonna jump up and say that, remind you of that night or whatever. That's imposter syndrome. It looks ridiculous. It looks uh, irrational inside. It, it does. You know, so I think when I went to law school, I went to law school and I quit in my second year, but it was a very good look behind the curtain. Coming from the background that I come from, my, I'm first generation uh, university student. We have this halo effect. So when we meet people who are, you know, come from a certain background, like lawyers, for example, we put them on a pedestal because they're lawyers. Or maybe one time you would do it with the church or, you know, you meet people and they're, oh, they're a politician or they're the director general of such and such. And you all of a sudden get all puffed up about that. In law school, I got to look beyond the curtain and got to see a very human side of people that I had on a pedestal. And it was like, holy cow, they're just like me. You know, they may know about law, but I bet you they can't rebuild an engine. And so this was going on in my mind. You know, I had the university. I didn't have a degree at law school. I went to, I did it the other way. I went to law school and then I did an undergraduate degree. 
but I had a couple of courses at university. So I had those, the psychology and sociology and stuff. So I was starting to look at the world a little bit differently. And I saw the similarities between us. I thought, I don't know why I'm nervous. <laughs> like, you know, it started to leave me. So yeah, that was the turning point. I was totally different when I left law school. I think that's a real dose of reality. So you've said some really important things. You've said, for example, with speaking, that you've got to think about context. So in the middle of Saskatchewan, are you going to have somebody who recognizes you from, you know, a night out one night, right? No, not likely. And that's important too, because I think if you put all of those fears at play and you concentrate on all the things that could go wrong and could happen, you're going to drive yourself insane and you may not even step outside your house. So that context I think is important. And that turning point of being acquainted with the reality of people that you thought were really special in some way allowed you to relate to them. You're no different than me. So you don't get to have that pedestal. And guess what? I don't get to put myself in a lower position because of it. And the thing is, you've also learned things. When you learn to be a mechanic in front of people, that must have been a real test of courage to keep going because I think others might have run away. And great point, because you got to remember that there was a real political movement afoot to get women into the non-traditional trades in the military. And the women had been pushing for this for quite some time. So when they took us in, that first group that were that did not know what we were going into, you know, they call it threshold diversity. They allow you in the door and they don't give you the supports that you need. The people were watching to, to see you fail. So you were like in a fishbowl in terms of, oh, let's see how she can do that. And they'd almost be standing back, you know, arms folded, uh, waiting for you to do it incorrectly. So it was that spotlight Mm -hmm. that you're under so having been subjected to that early in my life later on in my life when I went into business I didn't know anything about business I will tell you I mean I knew zero zero just picture you're the student that you've had come in and not know anything anything no lingo or jargon or anything I I was that person wow wow But I had a tremendous amount of courage and knowledge and failing wasn't new to me. I knew I could learn on the fly. I could take tremendous amount of risk. In the military, we learned to do things and then learn from it and then do them right (laughs) later. (laughs) As, As opposed to, so I didn't have that. When I opened my training center, everybody said, you know, they were saying, who is she? And can you believe she's opening a training center? She doesn't even know very much about business. Yeah, but I'm going to learn. And I'm going to learn in the field, which is why I adopted the apprenticeship model as my business coaching model, because I don't care if you don't know anything. Right. I'm going to show you how to do it. And we're going to transfer the knowledge when you're confident enough. Well, I'm not waiting for you to get confident. I'm pushing you out there. I'm going to say lock and load, lock and load. Imposter is not coming in today. Okay. And really pushing the chick out of the nest. You can fly now. It's good. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. So this is my, you know, people come to me because of the support, the level of support that I give. I take what I do very seriously. They're trying to become profitable. I'm not trying to sell a course. Right. I'm, I'm very dedicated to you building a business. I think that is refreshing. There's lots of people who are just selling courses and they don't have necessarily that commitment to their clients that 
you obviously have. Um, I want to backtrack for a second, though, because you said some other things that were really important. When you talk about, you know, climbing out of the nest before you're ready, entrepreneurs often feel that way. They, they often feel that, and anybody with imposter syndrome has it, I don't know enough. And right. as you said, at one point, you know, then it might be, well, I better go get another degree. I was going to go get my MBA. So when somebody is doing something that feels risky and it's brand new in front of people, I think fear of failure and that they know enough or can do enough is a really critical element. The truth is, as an entrepreneur, you have to push through that anyway. And there's two reasons why. First, nobody knows everything when they start out. As long as you know more than your client, then the other thing is, if you're going to choose to be an entrepreneur, guess what? Failure is how you learn. So I wish we could come up with a better word for failure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to biff that word. And just like imposter syndrome is a natural part of success, that thing that we now refer to as failure is also a natural part of success. On Saturday night, I went to see Stars on Ice. And I'm not going to remember the young Olympian's name, the Canadian Olympian, but he skated that night and he fell. So here we all are, the stadium's full. And they had given him a big entree to come in. You know, it was like really bumping him up. And he comes in and the first jump he does, he, he falls. When he fell, guess what we as the observer were doing as he fell? I wonder if you were feeling his pain and thinking, oh no. Yeah, well, no, no, that's probably what he might be thinking. Yeah. Oh my God, what do they think about me? We don't know that. No, we were like, get up, get up. We've already seen you at the Olympics. Get up, that's okay. And then he got up and everybody's clapping and standing ovation. Oh, cool. Let's say you fail in business. Let's say you fail in that minute when you're learning how to, I don't know, have your first conversation where you're doubling the prices and you do it miserably. They're not waiting for you. They're not waiting to jump down your throat. That's your imagination. Mm -hmm. That's true. People are very generous. If you and I are on this podcast right now and you're struggling to do something or something's not working, I'm not standing here waiting for you to fail. I'm seeing if there's any way I can be helpful. And I think that's because of your experience. That's because you've lived through this. You know it's not the game ender that people think it is. The woman who teaches the pricing model for Ask for Directions had a client who was going to double her prices and was so nervous about a conversation. She laid down on the floor in case she fell, put her phone on mute so that she wouldn't back off what she was intending to do. That first time when you do something that seems so big, it is. My experience in the stock exchange taught me that failure's not tolerated as much in Canada as it is in some other countries, notably the United States. It seems like it's an excuse to be judgmental. So I think part of the message is, hey, you could be there too. Quit judging other people. So most successful entrepreneurs or successful business people have failed. So if they're at a certain level of success, right. they have failed. They may not be going out and writing articles about that failure, but they have failed. So once you get at a certain level, my colleagues have all failed. So I'm just in good company. But when I was coming up, before I had met the colleagues that had failed, when I was with other startups who had never failed, that fear of failing, I, had, I didn't see a model where failing was okay. Mm. And then 
once I get to a certain level and I'm talking with all my colleagues and you can imagine uh, being in the tax business, anybody who's getting close to bankruptcy and needs to talk to the tax people because you're beyond on taxes would come to somebody like me because I do that mediation with, with the collections. And once they see that, oh, you've been bankrupt, Debbie, you've been bankrupt? Yeah, 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 no worries. <laughs> yeah, you're cool. That's it. Stigma's gone. They're like all over it. So coming up, we're comparing ourselves to people who have never had that level of success. And you know, they haven't had that level of success if they haven't failed. Well, that's true. And, and you know what, there's always stories and I have a few myself. The thing is you've got to keep trying because if you're an entrepreneur, that's part of the gig, right? You put something out there and you make your best effort and then adjust as you go on. I'm a fan of Carol S. Dweck's mindset oh, book. Too. Are yes. you? Yeah. I think it's really a valuable lesson. So when you were, you're coming out in the military as you started, right? Did you do something to help you with those pangs of, oh, what am I doing here? Or can I, should I be doing this? Was there something you told yourself or something you did? Well, I was learning, right? And so I would see that in the literature, I would go looking like even now, if I feel something, I'll go and find it on YouTube and understanding that it was something that other people were feeling. And then people would start telling me stories. So I would just bite the bullet. And we use the example, or you use the example of raising your prices. You know, the first time that I raised my prices, and I told you, I raised them 500%. Wow. <laughs> on the outside, I look cool. Like, I'm good on impression management. If you're not good on impression management, you should, you should become good at it. That's you a good point. That. Yeah. I'm good at that. On the outside, I was cool as a cucumber, locked and loaded, eye contact, prices are going up, and sorry, that's all I can do. Don't let the gate hit you on the way out. No, I didn't say that. I'm being funny. But on the inside, I was like this tall thinking, oh my God, if they, I, you know what you said about your friend laying on the floor with the phone? That was me on the inside. But she doesn't get to run my business. Right. CEO does. And the CEO would not like the way she ran my business. No, that's and this true. Is what I say to my clients that own their business and they're doing all of this stuff where they're really sabotaging their own success, aren't they? Underpricing and giving way too much value for the price, like trying to justify your pricing. I ask them uh, to pretend that they're employee, not CEO. And do you think you'd get away with that when you don't own the company? No. That, that's actually a good tip because uh, I don't know if you are familiar with Todd Herman's Alter Ego book. When people are having difficulty in matching the outside vision of themselves and the confidence that they're supposed to have with the inside, what Todd Herman has discovered is putting on this persona, not fake it till you make, but what it is, is putting on a persona where you act like you want to be perceived. He has some examples. I used to teach fitness when my kids were tiny. Even if I felt like I had a terrible day, come that class, I would stand in front of the group and I would put on this fitness professional persona. And that really helps. I think you've made a really good point. So you pretended. So you kept the outside different than the inside, right? That's right. I pretended. And I'm going to read that because I love it when I find myself in literature. This is not something I learned. This is just the way I survived. Because remember, if I gave up, if I failed at business, I was going on $16,000 a year on disability pension. I look cool on camera. You should see me walking around. <laughs> it's so all remember, about professional, yeah, right? Wasn't on the table that I could fail. 
it was, you know, you're going to get back up tomorrow and try this again. And, you know, that was just it. These little hacks that worked for me, they were invented by me, but they became hacks that I could give to other people. And I think that's really helpful. The other thing I think you've just said, you said failure wasn't an option. Right. If failure wasn't an option for you, not doing it. And lo and behold, it works. So I think what you're saying about being determined is really a very important key message for people as well. Thank you. Um, I think that failing wasn't an option, but pivoting was, right? Like, ah. so in the early days, I did the um, workshops for the oil and gas industry. They were going to hire 3% women across the board in the oil and gas industry on the East Coast. And I thought with my background in trades, I'd be right. able to teach these women something because that's a skill that I was masterful at, you know, being a leader in a male-dominated environment. It didn't work. You know, I didn't know how to sell that. Failing was still not an option. I moved on to taxes. You know, right. I figured that out. That's that word that we're so tired of hearing in the pandemic. But the truth is, if it doesn't work, you adjust and you pivot. And I would recommend Carol S. Dweck's book, Mindset, as well, about the, the success that you can have by creating your mindset. It is so important. Some people look and they say, oh, yeah, but she's tough and she can talk well and all this jazz. And they think you're like that. But getting back to Carol Dweck for a second, you want to talk about finding yourself in the literature. I come from a background of fixed mindset. So I had fixed mindset at 40. Wow. Um, you know, I'm 59 now and I'm as far from fixed mindset as you can possibly get. So two things. I'm not a natural entrepreneur. I could not sell a chocolate bar when my daughter played volleyball. I did not have a lemonade stand as a child. No, I'm not a business person naturally. I developed that skill. Now I'm extremely entrepreneurial. And there is a correlation between that entrepreneurial streak that I have now and my newly acquired growth mindset. Yes, that's a very good point. You have to learn how to do most things in your life. Right. But some people would have you believe that if you don't have, like they'll do an assessment to see if oh. your risk tolerance is in a certain place, yada, yada. Oh, if you don't have the indicators, you're not going to be an entrepreneur. That's not true. If you're hungry enough, you can learn ballet if you need to. How would you advise other women who were, I guess, a little fearful of getting into business and exposing their weaknesses? Well, you and I, I think we're on the same page when we appreciate the benefit of coaching, right? Like even myself, I didn't hire a coach for three years after I started. I would have done it on day one. I always say that if I could go back, what I would do differently, hire a coach. They're going to see stuff in me I wouldn't see in myself and they're going to shorten that runway. So definitely coaching to so always do professional development. I spend thousands every year you know, on professional development. But the other thing is stop taking the courses like that. That is like mission critical. If you can't offset that cost with new revenue, I say no, no expense before new revenue. Those are applied skills that you're only going to learn, not in the classroom, not in the book, not with your coach, but out there doing it. So get out there and do it. This is the Nike approach to life. Just do it, right? Just do it. Just do it. Debbie, you're writing books. You've said to me you're writing 10 books in the next how long? Five years. What are your themes for the books? I'll tell you about the themes for the books I've already written. I wrote three books in the past 10 years. And the first one, I needed money in the door. And that low-hanging fruit was I knew how to do online dating. And I knew occupational health and safety. I married the two and I wrote a book about online dating safety. 
And I did a little workshop on that to get money in the door. Right. Then I wrote about dreaming big, being bold, because I knew that I had acquired this ability to dream big dreams and be bold. And I wanted people to know about what that looked like. And again, it was with the information that I had to that point. My next book was Money Mindset, How Changing My Mind About Money Helped Me to Succeed as an Entrepreneur. That was an ebook, And I wanted to write about how I came from scarcity mindset. And this is what I've learned along the way. And now I'm full on into law of attraction for the skeptic because I was a skeptic. I didn't believe all of that stuff. And I have taken the best bits of it and left the rest. And I want other people to know about this. I want to transition into a thought leader. I think there aren't enough thought leaders out there for women. Uh, Many of the thought leaders are men. And many of the thought leaders that are women aren't relatable to the person that's just beginning. I'm in a very specific space, getting people over that edge. And that comes from me being from a background of crabs in a bucket. And I wanted to be the crab that got out and went and got a ladder and put it in for everybody else to get out. That's a good story. So I'll look forward to reading that. And I believe that women do need more women thought leaders that they can relate to. So... Debbie, thank you so much for spending time with us. This has been amazing. And I know that it's going to be of interest to lots of women. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. You can find Debbie through her website at People Can Training and Development, www.peoplecanbiz.com. That's people, C-A-N-B-I-Z.com. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you will join us each week as we walk through women's journeys in overcoming challenges. This podcast is brought to you by Ask for Directions Training, helping new entrepreneurs grow and create the business of their dream. If you found this to be valuable, please share it with others. Also, I would love it if you would leave a comment or a review. If you have a story to tell about overcoming a challenge, reach out to me at patricia at askfordirectionstraining.com. Until next time, Stay positive.